Praise team, it's always such a blessing to worship the Lord together under your leadership and to sing such meaningful songs. We're so very, very grateful. Well, all of us know that Sir Isaac Newton was a brilliant scientist who formed and formulated the laws of gravity. And if there was no other proof that God exists, what one thing all by itself did Newton say would convince him there is a God? Are you ready? He said it's the thumb. How many of you brought your thumb with you this morning? All right, I've got mine and I've also got a spare that I brought with me. Do you know the thumb is the only finger on your hand that is opposable? Now what we mean by opposable is it the only finger that can turn back against the other four fingers and we've all done this many, many times. And because the thumb is opposable, it makes it easier for our hands to refine our grip on objects that we would otherwise not be able to pick up or grab hold of. So your thumb makes your hand an instrument that is so precise and skillful that it makes life as we know it possible and life as we now know it would be impossible without our thumb. And I want you to think about this with me this morning. So amazing is the thumb that Sir Isaac Newton said all by itself it proves the existence of God. Now here's the incredible thing for us this morning. All of us have two thumbs that we can look at every single day and say to ourselves, there must be a God. Now that is precisely the point that David is making for us in Psalm 139 as he teaches us about the omnipotence of God. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 139, and let's look again for just a moment at verse 13. As we come back this morning to our message on the omnipotence of God, and I want you to notice again what David says in verse 13. For, he says, you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Now here David is giving us the theme of God's omnipotence, which we saw last week. And you remember the theme here. God made you his crowning achievement. God made you and me his crowning achievement. You see, God knew that one day this brilliant scientist by the name of Isaac Newton would look at his thumb. And as he examined his thumb, he would realize that this one little marvel in our body alone would cause him to say, there must be an all-powerful God. And I want to just stop again this morning and say to all of us, how good is God? that he has made that which is the most accessible to us the greatest demonstration of his omnipotence. Is that a good God this morning? Amen, it is. Now this morning, as we continue to look at God's omnipotence, David is going to do two more things. First of all, he's going to dig deeper into human development to show us the magnitude of God's omnipotence. 
And then because all truth about God is practical, he's going to show us what our response to this truth ought to be. So let's continue here this morning in Psalm 139 with the magnitude of God's omnipotence. And the first thing that David helps us to see is that God prepared your life. When you were in the womb, and again this week I brought with me this exact replica of an 11 to 12 week old pre-born child. And what David does in this portion of Psalm 139 is he puts an ultrasound scan upon the womb and he shows you you and he shows you me as we were being developed in our mother's womb. And the very first thing he says about us is that God prepared our lives. Now let's follow what he says, all right? First of all, notice God prepared your skeleton. Look at verse 15. He said, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Now that word frame is a reference to the bones of the human body. It's talking about our skeleton. Uh, did you know there are 206 bones in your skeleton? What is amazing about this? One-fourth of those bones are in your feet. There are 26 bones in each of your feet, making 52. That's one-fourth of all the bones in your skeleton. God knew we needed a solid foundation in this physical world. And then I want you to think about this. The average person's hand flexes its finger joints 25 million times during your lifetime. And God made every one of those bones, he made all of the joints so that we could make all the thousands of movements every day that make life on this earth possible. Well then notice that David said, God also prepared your veins and your arteries. He says at the end of verse 15 that we were intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now the depths of the earth here is a poetic way of referring to the mother's womb. And David again is appealing to the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. And he's telling us this, just as Adam was personally formed by God from the earth, so you and I were personally formed by God in our mother's womb. What science would tell us is a natural process, God tells us is a supernatural process. And it's interesting, this word intricately woven, intricately woven, it is a word that means to embroider. It means to weave colored thread. If I asked how many women here this morning and men have ever embroidered, a lot of hands would go up. The word was also a reference to knitting. And some Bible students believe this is a reference to our veins and our arteries. You know, your body has 10 trillion cells. And each one of those cells needs a supply of blood to keep it alive. Here's what God has done. He has placed in each of our bodies 70,000 miles of blood vessels. 
Take that in for just a moment. 70,000 miles of blood vessels to nurture and nourish all those 10 trillion cells that are a part of your body. And then I want you to think about this. Your heart pumps blood through those 70,000 miles through and back once every minute. Once every minute. And like a meticulous sower weaving each thread through a tapestry, God stitches every vein and every body as every artery as we're being developed in the womb. And then I want you to notice also that God prepared your embryo. God prepared your embryo. Verse 16, David says to us, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Now all of us know this preborn baby begins as an embryo. That word comes from a word that means unfinished. And we all know that we start life as one single cell that divides and multiplies until ultimately all the organs of our body are formed. Do you know this little 11 to 12 week old preborn has all the organs that you have? They're just unfinished. God is still developing them. Do you know when a baby is finally born, it has 26 billion cells, and every one developed from one cell. Um, have you ever asked yourself, how, many time, how long would it take to count to one billion? How long would that take? Are you ready? It would take 80 to 100 years to count to one billion. Uh, you know what that means? If you want to do that, you better get started right now. And for me, it's, it's over, it's too late. I'll never be able to reach one billion. But now think about this. It would take you 80 to 100 years to count to one billion, yet in nine months, God multiplies the embryo from one cell, not to one billion, but to 26 billion cells. Can anyone say this morning, what an awesome God? What an awesome God? Brothers and sisters, this is staggering. It's staggering. And the more we learn about the human embryo, the greater we see is God's omnipotence. Amen this morning? Amen. Now, not only did God prepare your life, but David also wants us to understand that God planned and protects your life. If you think this is mind-boggling, look at what David says about how God planned your life and then protects your life. Look with me, if you would, at verse 16. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible says that God keeps a book on his children. Did you know that? 
God is keeping a book on you. Jesus said this to his disciples one day. He said, rejoice that your names are written down in heaven, Luke 10, 20, in the book that God is keeping. Now here in the word of God, we learn every day of our lives was written when as yet there was none of them. Think about that this morning. Not only were our names written in God's book as a believer before we were ever conceived, but would you look at what else was written in God's book? God planned the days of our lives. He says here, the days that were formed for me. That is a reference to how long each of us would live. It includes the exact day of our death. Now, I want you to think about this this morning because God knows the end from the beginning. He has already written how long each of us will live. I've been out of high school now for 44 years, and every year I learn about one of my classmates who has died. And then I think to myself, God already has written in his book the day and the year that I will die. No, not to me, but to him. And somebody might say, well, if that's the case, and I'm sure you heard people say this, the day of your death is determined, therefore it doesn't matter what you do, we have to understand in God's book about us are included our wise and our unwise decisions. So knowing those things to God are included in our book and therefore if we would ever die because of unwise decisions, God would have known that, included it in the book and therefore whose fault would it be? Yeah, it would be mine, be yours. And so this does not lead to a careless life. Obviously, it leads to a careful life. And then notice what else God has planned. God has planned the details of our lives. He says here, every one of them. That means everyday details. Everyday details. So it's not that God just knows what we are going to do, but he has also planned what we are going to do. It's interesting when he says the days that were formed for me, that is a word that in the original language refers to intentional action. Intentional action. Elsewhere in our Old Testament, it means to determine to ordain, to form with a design or a plan. One pastor has put it this way, God has sovereignly predestined the life of every believer before we were ever conceived. God has sovereignly predestined the life of every believer before we were ever conceived. Think about this with me this morning. God planned who your parents would be. 
He planned the country that you would live in. The street upon which you would grow up. The schools that you would go to. God planned the illnesses that you would experience, the accidents that you would have. He planned the abilities and gifts that He would give to you. Even the occupation that you would be the most suited for, God planned all of those details. And then I want you to notice that David adds this, God protects your life. Look at the end of verse 18. He says, I awake and I am still with you. You know what David apparently was doing? As he was meditating on this magnificent God, he started to daydream. When he sort of woke up from the daydream, you know what he realized? God was still with him. God was still with him. God's thoughts were still on him. Think of what this means about you and me. God is thinking about us all the time. There's never a moment when his thoughts are not on us. God is watching over every one of our lives in meticulous detail, and the one who prepared our life, who planned our life, guards our life with his power. It is a mind-blowing thing. Think of the millions and millions of decisions that go into your life. Think of your grandparents' decisions, your parents' decisions. Think of all of your decisions. God is able to direct all of those decisions to fulfill His plan for you, and then He is able to protect you in that plan so that what He has determined for your life is able to be accomplished. Could I just say to you this morning, I wish I had understood this much younger in my life. I wish when I was a youth that somebody had taken me to this passage and shown me and said, Brian, God prepared your life. He planned your life. And He protects your life. And if I had known that as a young man, you know what? I think I'd have had a lot more peace. How many of you think you'd have a lot more peace if you're a young man? You know that. I think I'd have a lot more confidence. And you know what? I would have worried a whole lot less if I had known this as a young man. Now, brothers and sisters, all truth about God is practical. And David knows that. And so the final thing he does in this section of the psalm is he gives to us our response to God's omnipotence. If we truly believe this and understand it and try to grapple with it, it leads to some important responses. And let me give you three of them this morning that come to us right out of God's word here. Here's the first response. Life is precious. Be careful with it. 
Life is precious. Be careful with it. David says here in verse 14, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. It's interesting, the word fearfully here is used as an adverb in this verse, and it carries the idea of awesome. So what David is saying to us is this, you have been awesomely, wonderfully made. That's what he's saying. You have been awesomely, wonderfully made. You know what that tells me? Each life is precious, isn't it? Each life is precious. And if each life is precious, then certain things are wrong, aren't they? Is assisted suicide wrong? Of course it is. Of course it is. You see, we have the right to alleviate people from as much pain and suffering as we can. I'm so glad at the end of his life my dad got morphine because he was in a lot of pain and that morphine relieved the pain. But we never have the right to take a life because of pain. That is God's prerogative alone. And all of us know God often has purposes for suffering that we cannot see. Therefore, to end our life because we are suffering is to go against the very purposes that God may have for us. And so assisted suicide is wrong. I think we also would understand that suicide is also wrong, isn't it? Our hearts break for the people we know that have committed suicide. And I know too many, and you do too. Our hearts just go out in deep sympathy to their families. But God is the only one who gave life, therefore he is the only one who can take life. And if we believe in an all-powerful God, he's a God who can give hope. So we should turn to God in the midst of our pain, not to death. It's very clear. Suicide is wrong. And then abortion is wrong, isn't it? Abortion is wrong. Do you know an unplanned pregnancy is not an unplanned child, is it? A woman might say, I didn't plan to get pregnant. What do I do now? She may not have planned to get pregnant, but that child was planned by God. Amen this morning? Amen. And therefore, every child deserves life. You might be a woman here today who say, Pastor, it's too late for me. I, I've already aborted a child. What do you say to me? And this is what I would say to you. That child's life was precious to God, and your life is still precious to God. Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners. 
And the same God who made you is the God who in his power sent Jesus to die and to rise for you, that you might be cleansed of all your sins, experience his mercy, have the guilt of your wrongs wiped away, and experience the peace that God gives. And there's no sin that God cannot forgive. And your life is precious to God. And he wants you to come to him. You see, life is precious. Be careful with it. Notice the second response we are to have. Here's the second one. Life is a gift. Be thankful for it. Life is a gift, be thankful for it. When David says in verse 14, I praise you, that is a phrase that means to give thanks. Now, follow me with this. If God planned the details of our life, then complaining is ungratefulness, isn't it? If God planned all the details of our lives, as David says he did, then complaining is ungratefulness. Listen carefully this morning. Who you are, where you live, and what you do is all from His gracious hand. Every bit of it. Therefore, to be a complainer is a monstrous sin against God. Let's be very clear about that. To be a grouser, a grumbler, a complainer is a monstrous sin against God. Christians of all people should be the most thankful people on the earth. And here's one thing you know. You know this. If you ever meet a Christian who is a grouser, a complainer, or a grumbler, you know what you know? They don't know God. They don't know God. Because if you know the God that this passage is talking about, you cannot go through life as an ungrateful person. Pastor Warren Wearsby said this, instead of crying and complaining because he was not made some other way, David actually gave thanks that God fashioned him the way that he was. And how true that is. You see, if we believe that God is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent, then who we are, what we have, and where we are is from Him. Don't you ever complain about that, right? Who you are, what you have, where you are, is from Him. You see, life is a gift. Be thankful for it. And then notice the third response that David gives us. It's in verse 17. Life has a plan. Be purposeful in it. Life has a plan. Be purposeful in it. Look at verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. Now, this does not mean that God is just accumulating a vast number of thoughts, but rather the word thoughts here means intentions and purposes. 
So David is saying this, Lord, you have designs on me. You have a purpose for my life. With all the wonder and power that goes into creating and scripting your life, there must be a wonderful design. There must be a wonderful design. And brothers and sisters, if there's a wonderful design, that changes everything about us. It changes everything about us. For example, God knows best what will make us happy, doesn't he? I mean, if he prepared, planned, and protects us, then he knows best what will make us truly happy. Therefore, follow him. Follow him. How foolish it is to follow someone else who promises happiness when God alone knows best what will bring true happiness. God also knows best how life will work. Who would you trust to tell you how your car works, me or the owner's manual? You'd trust the owner's manual. You certainly would not trust me. I can tell you that right this morning. And God knows best how life works, and he's given us an owner's manual, therefore obey him. Obey him. No matter how hard it might be, no matter how difficult or inconvenient, he knows how life best works, therefore obey him. And then God knows if you need a life partner or not. Some of us need a life partner, others of us do not. For 32 years, I did not have a life partner, and then it became very clear, Brian needs Ellen. He very desperately needs her. And so if you need a life partner, seek the person God would choose. Don't say to yourself, I'm going to uh, choose the partner that... I think is best according to my standards. Choose a life partner that God says is best. And then think about this. This God that David is describing, he knows your every hurt. He knows your every hurt. We read here that God is keeping a book on every believer. Do you know what else he has? He has a bottle. And you know what he has in that bottle? He has your tears. Psalm 56.8 says, your tears are in his bottle. Next month, or this fall in November, will be 10 years since my father passed away. I was with my mother when she died. I was with my father when he died. I bawled like a baby. I just broke down and shed a flood of tears. And now I come to Psalm 56, 8, and I read, Your tears are in his bottle. Every one of those tears God has placed in his bottle. And he's done the same with you. And you know what I know? If God has my tears in his bottle, then God knows how to dry my tears, doesn't he? And in his time, and in his way, 
God will dry every one of the tears that he has in his bottle. And don't you want to stay close to a God like that? Don't you want to stay close to a God like that? Who knows every one of your hurts, who has collected them in his bottle, and in his time and in his way, will dry those tears. If you didn't know the omnipotence of God was so practical, we do now, don't we? We do now. Life is precious. Be careful with it. Life is a gift. Be thankful for it. Life has a plan. Be purposeful in it. If you know your omnipotent God, that's how you'll respond to him. Let's take a moment, shall we, and bow our heads and close our eyes. And let's let him do his work in our hearts. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, do you know this God? Is your name written down in his book? If you're not sure about that, he issues an invitation to you to come to his son who died for you and rose again. No matter what you've done, where you've been, who you are, he can save you and bring you into his family. And why don't you turn to him now in repentance and faith? And then for those of us who know that we are members of the family of God, are you living a careful life? Are you living a thankful life? Are you pursuing the plan that God has for you? This morning, as you thank him for the wonders of who he is, tell him you're going to respond to him as his word so clearly instructs. And thank him for this privilege of living the life he has ordained 
for you. What an honor. What a privilege. How awesome it truly is. Father, today, help us to worship you. Help us to see that we are here today that we might learn about you and what you have done. And as we bask in the mystery of your self-revelation that we could get nowhere else but from your holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word. You have revealed these truths that we might know who we are. And in knowing who we are, know then how to live and how to walk in intimacy with the God who has done such great things for us. We bless your name, O Holy One. We exalt you, the Almighty. We worship at your throne alone. And we thank you for such a wonderful Savior. We pray now for his sake and his sake alone. Amen.